Welcome and thanks for listening to the Community Christian Church Podcast. To learn more about Community Christian Church, visit us online at cccsterling.org. Hundred and fifteen days in the hospital, fifty-five days on a ventilator, fifty days with a trach, and almost seven minutes dead. On December first, my mom tested positive for COVID and she developed severe symptoms. As soon as her oxygen levels dropped down to eighty, I rushed her into the ER. Mom's doctor had called ahead and we were warned that the wait time was about eleven hours. But as soon as we checked her in and they took her vitals, they brought her back. And at the time, we didn't realize that this was a pretty good indicator for what was going to be coming in the upcoming months. And we actually viewed it as a blessing that we got to skip the line. So I brought back an overnight bag for her. I said, good night. I'd see her in a couple of days. And I actually made a joke for her to enjoy the quiet before she came back home to our loud households. What I didn't know was that this was going to be the last time I saw my mom for 22 days due to COVID restrictions. On December 2nd, my dad posted for the first time on Facebook that my mom was admitted to the hospital. And by the 4th, we started doing nightly posts. My dad, my sisters, and I would all come together each night and we would decide what to share with everyone, what to keep private as a family, but then also what specifically to request prayer for. By this point, my mom was on 100% oxygen and she was sedated for most of the day. And when she was awake, she was extremely agitated. She was constantly trying to pull off her BiPAP mask, which would cause her heart rate to drop. So at this point, she's confined to the bed. And PT had actually just declared at this point that we were gonna have a disease-free December and he had told the congregation that the intercessors were praying for good health over the entire church. So on December 7th, I was brought out of sedation and I remember this conversation very clearly. The doctor came and said that I needed to go on the vent. And at this point, from the media, all you heard is if you go on the vent, you don't come home, you die. So I said, absolutely not. He said, okay, and he left. And then I thought, you know what, this might not end the way we want it to. So I started texting Jeff a bunch of instructions about what I wanted and goodbye messages to everyone if I didn't come home. And then I sent a family message um, out which was, we have it here. Jesus is still in control, guys. I have complete peace that I will be walking out of this hospital, but always, for all of you, always embrace Jesus. He has given me complete peace. Never turn from him. He is everything. Jesus heals. And obviously, when we got this text message, we all panicked. This is the last text you want to receive from your mom, who is extremely ill in the hospital. So at this point, my sister Kirsten made my mom promise that she would not give up fighting. And then she sent out this text that said, no way I'm giving up. God is going to be victorious in this and I'm coming out with a new ministry. Things are changing. On the night of December 12th, the doctor called us again and he said that mom kept pulling off her mask and her oxygen level and her heart rate were tanking. And now they were concerned that it was going to be a cardiac event. And they said, if they tank again, we can't promise we're going to break. We are going to be able to get them back up. And we were told, basically, she either goes on the vent or she dies. So as a family, we sat down and we made the decision that she is going to go on the ventilator. So that night, um, the vent was placed along with a feeding tube. And during this time... There were multiple instances where as a family, we were encircled, anointed with oil, and we were prayed over. This happened regularly anytime we were at church on a Sunday. We had a prayer vigil for mom at the hospital where 21 people met outside in the freezing cold, and I think it rained, and we were once again encircled, anointed over, and prayed over right in front of the East Tower, which at the time was as close to my mom as we could get. 
There was one Sunday where PT prayed for mom um, for the closing prayer. And then there was also someone who doesn't even know my mom personally who organized a day of prayer for her where every hour on the hour we set alarms and we prayed for her all day. To say that during this time we were encircled by prayer is a complete understatement. By the 22nd, visitation was opened up to my family from 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. And my mom and I, we have been doing this ministry together for about five years now. And something my mom has always taught on is the importance of worship when facing a spiritual battle. So I knew how important worship music was to her. So a playlist was created, and we had that playing in her hospital room 24-7. And every night, we'd ask the nurses how she was doing. And they would always tell us, like, she was dancing all night. And we were like, oh, that's interesting. Like, we, okay, cool. Um, but we didn't really understand what they were talking about. So that brings us to Christmas on the 25th. And that was a very, very bad day for our family. My mom spiked a fever of 107.8, which... At the time, I wouldn't even Google what the repercussions for that is because I didn't want the answers. But um, the doctors and the nurses, they spent all day trying to stabilize her. We had one nurse who passed out because he was working so aggressively to get my mom stable. They brought uh, cooling blankets in. And the thing about a temperature that high is it shoots up quickly, but they can't bring it down quickly. They have to bring it down slowly. So we were told that um, because she had such a high temp, there's a strong possibility that there could be some brain damage. Um, And they were surprised she didn't have a stroke or a seizure or there was any organ damage. But they said, with her brain, we're just going to kind of have to wait and see when she wakes up, but to prepare ourselves. And that night when my dad left the the hospital to come home, her temperature was coming down, um, but it was still pretty high. And that night, before we went to bed, we usually got a phone call from the doctor just giving an update. And that night, we did not get a call. So my dad called around 11, and we were told, you know, the doctor is with a patient bedside right now. And what they didn't tell us was that patient they were with was my mom. Now, anyone who has had a family member in the hospital knows that middle-of-the-night phone calls are not what you want at all. And that is just what we got the morning of the 26th at 4 a.m. We received a very vague phone call from the doctor saying that my mom was alive, but her heart had stopped anywhere between three to seven minutes, and they had to perform CPR. They basically ended the call with she's alive, but the next 12 hours are going to be extremely telling to if she survives, and they just wanted to make sure one of us would be there first thing in the morning to talk to them. So the next morning, my dad got to the hospital, and that's when we discovered that um, she had been died for, or she had died for almost seven minutes. It took three rounds of CPR, and they had to use the paddles on her twice to get her back in those seven minutes. So during those seven minutes, there was no vortex, there was no tunnel. I didn't travel at all or see a light. I was just all of a sudden walking on a dirt road with Jesus. And uh, some people ask how I know it wasn't just a dream, it was real. I had dreams during the ICU time. Um, One which I shared a little bit about was my Dolly Parton dream. And I'm going to give the rest of the details now, which I have never shared because, quite frankly, I seem delusional. Yeah, you look don't I? Yeah, absolutely. So, my Uh Dolly dream. Dolly, or dolls as I call her, met at Miley Cyrus's wedding, or Miles as I call her. Besties. And we bonded over horseback riding, and she was just drawn to me. Yeah, I bet. And so I invited her over to the house for a visitation, and we sat on my front porch eating peaches out of a can and drinking chilled cucumbers water. And we decided to record an album together. (laughs) So we then went on a world tour where she was the opening act, I was the headliner. (laughs) And we had matching hair. 
<laughs> I would like to interject at this point that I spent hours carefully cultivating this worship playlist. I did not put a song on that list unless I knew every lyric, and my mother wakes up and goes, did I hang out with Dolly Parton? And I'm like, no, no, you did not. <laughs> and it was very dreamlike, that. My time with Jesus, I touched him. It was as real as we are now. And like I said, we were just walking on a dirt road talking. And I had always envisioned, like when I would get to heaven, having all these questions and I want to know this and explain. Why'd you say this in the Bible? All this stuff, right? It was nothing like that. It just seemed like two friends being together walking and talking. And on the left, there were just beautiful woods. On the right was this gorgeous, lush, green hill covered in grass. And there was a split rail fence around the hill that had an opening in it. And as we, as we rounded the corner and approached the opening, I saw two figures on the hill running towards me. One figure went up, kind of over the top of the hill. The other figure veered down towards the bottom and we met right at the opening. And it was Allison. A lot of you may know Allison or recognize her. She was a lady that has been here a lot. We'd sit, um, oh, actually we sat in the back with her and she had Rett syndrome. We've been taking care of her for about 10 years. She became part of the family. She was just one of the girls. And she was asked to be a bridesmaid in my youngest daughter Celeste's wedding. Five days before Celeste's bridal shower, she died unexpectedly. There was no warning. It was devastating. And that was Allie. Allison was in a wheelchair. She could not walk on her own. She had a double S curve to her spine, so she was very curved over. She wore braces on both of her feet because she had feet uh, problems, and she was nonverbal. So I never heard her speak until then. And she ran over. She was barefoot, running in the grass, and she looked at me and smiled, this beautiful smile. She goes, come on in, Keely. It's great. And she ran up the hill. And that's the first she has ever spoken to me. And she said my name. So she knew me. And Jesus turned to me and he said, you have your choice. You can stay or you can go back. It's up to you. And I knew things immediately. I knew that my youngest daughter was pregnant with our first grandchild. Now, we found out, they actually, we had a gender reveal on Thanksgiving Day. So I knew going into the hospital that she was pregnant. But I still knew in heaven that she was pregnant. I knew that either way, regardless of what I said, it was okay, there was no wrong answer. The decision was totally mine. I knew that if I returned, my physical healing would not be immediate. Now, in all honesty, I thought maybe three or four weeks, yeah, yeah, you know, I agree. <laughs> but I knew that it would not be complete. And I knew that I had made the promise that I would not quit fighting. So I said, you know what, I want to stay. Staying would have been so much easier. That's how wonderful it is. But I said, I made a promise to not quit fighting. I've got to go back. And he said, okay, we've got work to do. And back I went. When mom came back, the doctors told us that there was no medical explanation for why she survived. They knew that we were a family of faith, and they told us that this is what we would call a miracle. And one of the nurses told us that my mom was only one of two people that sick who was leaving the ICU alive. 
they said that it's like when she died, her body just did a hard reset. It's like she's a computer and we just like unplugged her and popped her back in and she woke up. So I was actually placed on the trach January 5th. And January 8th, I woke up. And I remember laying in the bed thinking, okay, it's time to get up. And so I opened my eyes, there was a nurse in the room. And I was like, I wanna, I wanna go home. And I, I can't remember the face, but I remember just a, a sweet voice saying, oh honey, we're so glad you're back, but it's not gonna be that easy. And I was paralyzed from the chest down and from the elbows up. So I could only move my head and my arms like this. And the doctors said, we're hoping it's temporary, um, but uh, you know, only time will tell. We'll have to see how your body responds. And the thing that is so amazing is, right now I have drop foot in my left foot. Um, the nurses in the ICU, were phenomenal at taking care of me. And they kept moving my body, and, but with my feet, they were doing the moving. Um, Amber had alluded to me dancing in the ICU. What I was actually doing was raising my hands in worship. And because, we have a picture, because I raised my hands, here you can see I was in restraints, so I could only go up this high. Um, in the next picture, you'll start to see the atrophy is moving towards my hands. If I would have lost my hands, recovery would have been so much more incredibly difficult. But I didn't because during that time, I continued to use them. So if you are going through a storm, if you're in a trial, you get alone with God, you put your, your worship music on, and you raise your hands and you start to praise. Because even when we don't see what happens in the physical realm, healing takes place in the spiritual realm when we praise. And I am so thankful for my hands. My left foot, I have not been able to move at all until this past Monday when it started to move. Just a twitch, but it started. By January 13th, mom was transferred out of the ICU to her first long-term um, care facility. And at this point, we began the battle of weaning her off of the vent um, because the ventilator was hooked up to her trach at this point. And with that came severe anxiety. It took three tries of getting her weaned off before it was finally successful and she was off the ventilator. And this was the, the worst mental battle that I had the entire time, was getting off the vent. Um, I, um, I had one instance where, because of the damage to my lungs, it was very difficult for, for me to breathe. And I would feel this heavy pressure, and I'd say, I can't breathe, I can't breathe. I was also having anxiety attacks. So we really thought it was the anxiety until one time I just completely passed out. And we found out that one of my tubes was clogged and I wasn't getting oxygen. What that did is it shot, it just brought home the fact that you know what, you are completely helpless. I would lay in bed, I flat on my back, looking at the ceiling, my body can't even breathe on its own. And I would think, you know what? If this hospital catches on fire, there's nothing I can do to help myself. I am totally helpless. And the enemy came in hard. And we, like Amber said, we've been doing the ministry. And our ministry was in uh, we're going to share a little bit more about it um, later, but it dealt with depression and anxiety that I had experienced and healing in Christ. This is what I taught about. And he was like, see, you teach this, you tell people, it doesn't work. You can't even control your own anxiety. And you are nothing but a hypocrite. And getting off of the vent 
they, um, you, have to be, you have to be able to breathe through the trach for 48 hours, and then they take the vent out. The most defeating time for me was the second time. They had taken the vent out, seeing them roll the vent back in to be placed back on it. I thought, I'm never getting off this vent. And that was really the mental challenge of the yeah. most challenging. Okay. I think it's getting off the vent is it's tough. Yeah. It's tough. But after the third attempt, she was successful. She was able yeah. to stay off the vent. And then in mid-February, her trach was removed. And then one month later, on March 25th, mom came home. And when she came home, she was weak, but she was home. And she needed assistance with pretty much everything at this point. Um, we were trying to find a new routine and she could not be left alone at all for any point of time. She couldn't take a step without one of us there physically helping her and moving her. Um, she couldn't sleep in a bed. She was sleeping sitting upright in a chair. There was a picture that you saw with me like this, and that's how I slept for months. Yeah. Because I couldn't even recline. And all night long, I would feel pokes. Yeah. They were checking to make sure I was still well, breathing. When you walk out and you see your mother slumped over like that, after everything you've just gone through for those months, you're a little worried. So yeah, you, you shake her a little and then her head would pop up and I'd be like, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to wake you. Go back to bed. So then Jeff would come down and poke me. Yeah, it was, it was not great. It was not great. But on April 28th, um, my lungs were tested and I was at 30% capacity, meaning 70% of my lungs were not working. And a double lung transplant was brought up as a last resort. Um, but the doctor wanted to see how my body would um, respond. So I got into pulmonary rehab. And after many breathing treatments and breathing exercises and uh, PT sessions, um, we, I was tested again on October 13th. And it was up to 47%. So it was more than a 50% um, improvement. And the best news was both of my doctors that I talked to about it said that they didn't see anything permanent. That hopefully with time and continued hard work that um, I will get back to pre-COVID breathing. So we are excited about that. Yeah. Then I can talk unlimited. We still might limit her some. <laughs> but I would like to take a moment. Um, I need to thank, um, it's, the list is just too vast for me to thank everyone. I do want to mention my husband, Jeff, who has been incredible. And um, his life has totally changed. Uh, with this also, and my health is his number one priority. And we spend lots of time together now. So we're, um, we're blessed, right, honey? <laughs> and my daughters, Amber, Kirsten, and Celeste. Um, I have two son-in-laws, Eric and Tom. And seeing how th the family, the five of them, the kids, came together, how my son-in-laws have supported the girls through this entire thing. And seeing how the girls really came together, it's such a blessing. It's a silver lining for me. And um, I was actually expecting a, a meltdown after I got home. And it came one time, I don't know if you guys heard this, but the three of you started fighting over something. And I heard one of you say, and when mom was in the ICU, you said this, and it really ticked me off. And so if we went through this transition. Um, I think sometimes when you go through something like this, it's more traumatic for the family than the actual person yeah. going through it. So I wanna thank you all. My mom and dad are here, who have been, you know, my cheerleaders for all my life. And my sisters and too many friends. I started making a list of people I wanted to thank. I can't, there's too many. But so many of you are sitting here and online. Um, I have had incredible 
nurses, the nurses in the ICU saved my life, I don't even know how many times. Um, and the care that we received with my doctors to this day, just giving me the best of care. Therapists, um, CNAs, people taking care, just having a kind word makes all the difference. Our life group and this church body has been incredibly supportive in everything. So thank you all. I will forever be grateful. Oh, it's my turn. And now the work begins. So our ministry was birthed from pain and brokenness. In the early 2000s, I went through a time of debilitating depression, paralyzing fear, and severe anxiety attacks. The last attack resulted in me going to bed for two and a half years. Physically, there was nothing holding me to the bed, but I could not get up. And unless you've been there, it's very difficult to understand. You know, you think, why don't you just change how you think? Um, And Jeff tried to understand, but the fear was paralyzing. It's all-consuming, and it controls every aspect of your life. It doesn't matter if the threat is, is a reality, because to the person believing it, it's real. And things got so bad, it got to the point where I could not leave the house alone. Um, I was okay if I was with somebody else, but to leave on my own, I would have an anxiety attack and I would have to rush right back, right back home. And our home became a pit, the darkest of pits of defeat and hopelessness. During this time, isolation was the main tool the enemy used to keep me in defeat. We had just moved to California and we didn't know anyone. And I withdrew and I totally shut down. After finding healing and restoration in Christ, we started sharing our story to, uh, you know, help other women. We started sharing it with other women who were also living in brokenness. So fast forward now, 12 years after we started the ministry, and once again, I'm confined to a bed, unable to move, but this time due to sickness. Two bed confinements, but totally different experiences. And we'll get more to that later. Acts 14, 19, and 20 say, but some Jews arrived there from Antioch in Iconium, And having persuaded the people and won them over, they stoned Paul and afterward dragged him out of the town, thinking that he was dead. But the disciples formed a circle about him, and he got up and went back into the town. And when I read this verse years ago, immediately it struck me. I envisioned what it must have felt like for Paul to see this angry mob come at him and surround him, stones in hand, to kill him. And then they left him for dead. Personally, I think he was dead. Stoning is pretty intense. But regardless, he was in bad shape. And what it must have felt like, the relief, for him to open his eyes and look up and see the disciples surrounding him in prayer and protecting him and uplifting him. And that's what you did for us because the enemy was surrounding us and he was encircling me, stones in hand to kill. And you all came around us and you supported us through multiple times of prayer right at this altar where you circled around our, the, Jeff and the girls and you prayed over me in freezing rain at a prayer vigil you prayed for it was like what 90 minutes yeah. you don't remember I don't, yeah. and kind of a blur. you prayed for me and multiple 
I mean, um, I don't even know how many prayer chains I was on. Thousands of social media shares of the post just encircling us, lifting us up and praying for us. And that is what it means to be in it together. I have a quick question. Can you raise your hand if you prayed for my mom during these last few months? Now put your hand down if you personally know my mom. So keep it up if you don't know her. That's still a lot of hands around the room that that don't know my mom, but still we're praying for her. And that right there is what it means to be part of the family of God. Due to social media, my mom was prayed for by tens of thousands of people. And so many of these people, this side of heaven, we're never going to meet. But they are vested in my mom's recovery. And they are lifting her up still daily. My mother's photo is printed out on so many people's refrigerators right now. Just so when they walk by, they see her and they think, oh, I need to pray for Keely right now. And I am beyond humbled and overwhelming is is not even sufficient to explain how it feels and just beyond prayer we had so many people that were calling texting they were bringing food over the financial support and then when she came home they were driving her to doctor's appointments when we couldn't do it or taking her to pt or just coming and sitting with her when she couldn't be left alone and then when we unexpectedly had to move. They were helping us pack and helping us with the moving sale. And that right there, again, is just what it means to be in it together. And as I shared earlier, isolation was the main tool the enemy used in my depression and brokenness. When the pandemic started and we went into lockdown, isolation became our new way of life. Everything about our day-to-day activities changed. CCC did a great job of getting online, and even today, the sermons have a much greater effect than pre-pandemic days because of the online streaming. Um, So it it did. There was good that came out of it, but for some, home has now become a prison from which they cannot escape, and I know that prison well because I lived there for years. Fear is what drove me to bed the first time. Fear ruled me. I was saved, but the enemy was controlling every aspect of my day-to-day life. Hebrews 2.15 says, since the children are made of flesh and blood, it is logical that the Savior took on flesh and blood in order to rescue them by his death. By embracing death, Taking it into himself, he destroyed the devil's hold on death and freed all who cower through life, sacred to death of death. And this is Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Scared to death of death, I'm sorry. Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. And then in the Amplified. The Amplified said, and also that he might deliver and completely set free all those who through the haunting fear of death were held in bondage throughout the whole course of their lives. It does not matter how long you've been living in fear. And, and I specifically want to uh, address people at home who can't or haven't yet gotten back out. Um, I have been there And it doesn't matter how long you've been dealing with depression, addiction. Christ went to the cross to completely set us free. And despite the lockdown being over, I know people still in that isolation. And it's a horrible way to live. So if you are watching online right now and dealing with this, you need to know you are not alone. And that's one of the things that the enemy really did is he made me feel like I was completely in it alone. When I was in the ICU, all alone physically, or, you know, with nurses, but by myself, no family or anything, I never felt alone because the presence of the Holy Spirit permeated everything. 
And to me, even if I was displaying anxiety outwardly, it felt like I was just in the arms of Jesus. Complete peace. And if you have lost a loved one who was alone, as many people did during COVID, I just want you to know that the Holy Spirit was there. He showed up. He shows up for everybody. And there was no fear for me. I lived in fear for years when there was nothing physically confining me. But when I was physically confined, I had more freedom because of the role of the Holy Spirit in my life. And he shows up for everybody like that. So can I jump in really quick? Sure. Something that also I want to touch on super quick is when she was in the ICU, outwardly, it looked like there was fear. And this was something that was really interesting for us to talk about as a family. Because when she was in the bed and when she was restrained, we would be leaving and they would lower her sedation just enough for us to talk to her a little bit. And there would be tears in her eyes and she'd be telling us, don't leave me, stay here, don't go. And as, you know, a loved one, to see that you're just, your heart is broken because you have to walk out the door. I can't stay. I have to leave. And so it looked like there was so much fear there. But then when she woke up later and we talked about it, to hear that while outwardly it looked like that, inwardly, that was not the case. I it all. Because I know some people are sitting there going, I've seen a loved one in the ICU and it, they looked terrified. They might look at, but what's happening inwardly is a completely different experience as well. Yeah, I wasn't planning on sharing this, but I kind of feel I want to say it. Um, In the ICU, when you are in the process of dying, God shows up in an incredible way. And there is, uh, he has a way of ministering to us that in the physical realm, we know nothing about. And I personally think he does some of his best work there. And I think he chases people down right to the very end. So know that even if you couldn't reach your loved one, God could, and he was there ministering to them. So I do understand the fear of getting sick, of going out and being exposed to stuff. And there are legitimate seasons where physical isolation is the right course. Um, Trust me, there have been many, many discussions with our family about what I do. Um, Because remember, the last thing Jesus said to me is, okay, we have work to do. So I came home and I'm like, I'm ready to get back at it. I want to start speaking. I want to, and they're like, you need to chill. I mean, seriously, you die one time and everybody's all up in your business. (laughs) Yes, that is the case. So so, um, working with my doctors and therapists and with much input from Jeff and the kids, I think we have developed a healthy, balanced approach to my life post-COVID. I only speak one time a week max. The day before and the day after, I do not go anywhere. I rest. Um, If someone is sick, we no longer consider consider it just allergies. If they have a symptom, I'm not around them. Um, We, I don't drive yet. When we speak, I have everything written out. I used to just do bullet points and I would, you know, figure it out on stage. Now I need it here. I need her to have her part here too. But she always goes goes off course. It's true. I do. But things are different now. I've never walked with my grandson. He's a walker. He loves being walked. I haven't been able to do that yet. So things are different, but we have found a healthy approach to being out because I refuse to be isolated and imprisoned in that fear again. 
And the truth of the matter is, you know what? I might come out of my house and get sick. The rub is, I could stay in my house forever and still get sick. There are no promises in scripture of no problems. And despite what some people preach, God never said, Jesus never said in this life, if you follow me, it will be perfect. Or you will not have hardship. Actually, what he said is in this world, you will have trials and tribulations. But be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. So that is where we put our hope, not in our circumstances, but in Jesus. Because regardless of what you are facing today, he has already overcome it. So if you have not accepted Jesus yet, I strongly encourage you, do it today. Heaven is, you don't want to miss it. It is wonderful. If you have a relationship with Jesus, but you haven't really decided what role he plays in your life yet, decide today. Because I had all those years ago decided that God is a good God and he loves me and he's for me. When I was isolated in the ICU, there was no anger at God because I already decided that he loved me. I had made that decision. So I could fall into his love without questioning where he was in the situation. And when I fell into God, I also fell into my victory. Fair warning. When we start to break out of fear and really move forward in what God is calling us to do, the enemy is not going to like it. He is going to throw anything and everything at you to, to prevent you from doing that. But God has got you regardless of what you're going through. And he's already given you the victory. So if you feel like the gates of hell are just storming you down, keep on pushing and keep on walking because you've already got your victory. Don't quit before you fully realize it. So I love life now. We have a lot of fun. Um, I never imagined at this point in my life being in a wheelchair and on oxygen, nor did Jeff. This has greatly affected our day-to-day living. But if Jeff and I were looking at our circumstances and at the progress of my physical healing, we would not be victorious right now. Because we have pressed into Jesus, we are experiencing not only victory before receiving my physical healing, we also have joy. And we are having so much fun. And life is only going to get better. This is my daughter, Kirsten. Her husband, Tom. And this is baby A and baby B. Twins. life is about to get even better. And if we were looking at our circumstances instead of Jesus, we would be missing out on the greatest season of our life. So life is good on our own, but it's even better because we are in it together. Thank you. What a remarkable story. And we get to share in this and celebrate in this win in this story because of what Amber and Keely have been saying all morning. 
that we came together as a church. Go ahead and have a seat for just a second. You know, I got to kind of take a few minutes. I'm not going to drag this out at all. But Keely and Amber had a lot to say. We, we took in a lot of their story and a lot of their testimony. I hope you heard uh, them say that from the medical field standpoint, Keely died. And because they're a Christian family, because they believe in those kinds of things, the medical field would call what happened to her a miracle. But they're not going to call it a miracle because they can't call it a miracle even though it was a miracle. So we can share in that miracle as a church. That means God answered your prayers in miraculous style. You know, a couple weeks ago we talked about what we can do together as a church through our missions. And, and our outreach, and how much more we could do together uh, than apart. And we all share, and all those victories that we shared, all the work that we're doing, the, we're feeding the poor, we're, we're reaching out to those who are in need, we're fighting for those who can't fight for themselves, we're doing that as a church. And we did this as a church, of course, giving God all the glory, but we did this as a church. We came together, we prayed. And you share in that. So you can say, you know, I experienced a miracle because we all did. A, a bona fide, supernatural miracle. Now I want to say one last thing and then I want to pray over you. You know, when we read the word of God, hopefully you can get a lot from the word of God. In fact, the word of God does so many things for us. It's a lamp to our feet. It's a light to our path. It inspires us, it instructs us, it gives us guidance, we learn wisdom. But then there are some passages that just rock our world. And what such passage is found in the 17th chapter of the Gospel of Luke? It's when Jesus encountered 10 lepers. And usually what happened when you came in contact with someone who had leprosy is the lepers would cry out and everybody would run. They would vacate the area. But Jesus didn't do that. He stopped he responded to the 10 lepers and he told them to go show themselves to the priests. And on their way, the scripture says, all 10 were healed. 10 lepers crying out for mercy, all 10 get healed. How many came back? So one out of the 10 came back and in rare form, you don't, you don't see this much coming from Jesus. When the one leper came back who was healed and fell at his feet to give thanks, Jesus didn't say, oh, that's really good. I'm, I'm really happy for you. I'm excited you had a lot of faith. He looked around and he said, where are the other nine? Didn't we heal 10? Didn't 10 get the healing? What happened to the other nine? It's a lesson on how important it is to give thanks to God when God does something remarkable in our lives. And, and at this Thanksgiving season, we're grateful. We're, we're we're so appreciative of all that God gives us. He, he's, his blessings are countless. So you might be here, you might be listening, you might be thinking, you know, this is a great testimony and I'm really excited about it. You know, thank the Lord. But I had a loved one who died of COVID and I prayed and we fasted. And there were others that we prayed for and they didn't make it. And that's a legitimate question. And we address those things here at our church from time to time. And we walk with you and we do our best to encourage you and support you. But it is right to offer thanks for what God has done in this situation. It is right to give him thanks and to spend time praising his name. And so, Father, we just thank you for this miraculous healing that took place for this family and especially for Keeley. We're asking, Lord, that from this testimony, as it continues to go out, that many people will be encouraged, many people will come to know you as Savior and Lord. They will overcome their fear and their anxiety, that they would know you to be a God who heals, a God who loves us, a God who cares so much about us that you hear prayer today, and you're a healing God still today. You still have that gift, Lord. And we're asking for full and complete healing for Keely. Lord, that this would be a complete work that you would do in her body, that you would touch her, Lord, in a miraculous way, that you would strengthen her, that her lung capacity would incre increase to 100%, 
that her uh, every uh, fiber in her body, Lord, every nerve ending, every muscle, every tendon, every bone would work exactly and precisely the way that you designed it to work. And we pray for increased anointing upon her, Lord, to give this story and this testimony with power and with insight. Thank you for this team. Thank you for their ministry. We pray blessing over this family. And we thank you, Lord, for allowing us as a church to share in this celebration and in this win. We pray for those who are hurting. We pray for those who are struggling, those who are afraid and anxious, those, Lord, who are alone. We ask, Lord God, that you would continue to minister to them and that we could be a support to them. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. One more round of applause. Go right ahead. I'm sorry, it's not going to be long. Um, I just want to say that um, I firmly believe that a lot of people are given the choice to come back. It was not my time to die. Um, and because I live, we live in a fallen world, I died. Um, I was given the choice. I think a lot of people are. I think most people choose to stay. So if you have lost a loved one and you are dealing with anger, feeling like God took them from you, he might have just been respecting their choice and letting them stay. So if you're in that situation, I encourage you to deal with your anger with God, go to him and fall into him because he is where you are going to get your healing. Because if your loved one chose to stay, they're doing great. Thank you.